0: Welcome to the Abide Podcast, where our goal is helping others delight in Christ for the sake of becoming more like Christ with the hope of multiplying disciples of Christ. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Abide Podcast. My name is Laura Tungate. I'm the host of the Abide Podcast, and I am also on residency staff at Coastal Community Church in Galveston, Texas. And I normally have a guest on the podcast with me, and my guest today, and who's going to be on for the first three episodes of this season, is Chris Cummings. He's the college pastor and director of discipleship at Coastal. So welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, glad to be back. I'm really excited about what we have going for this next season mm-hmm. um, of the podcast. We're going to be talking about the story of the Bible. Um, I think this is an important topic just because I think a lot of people find the Bible intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a very large book with small print. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it has two columns on each page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it like doubles it almost. Yeah. 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 Um, so I really want to lay out in this series, uh, what people will find when they open their Bible. And this first episode is really just going to be an introduction to what is the Bible? What does it talk about? Mm -hmm. Um, in this, uh, in this introduction to the series, um, we're going to talk about what is the overarching storyline of the Bible? Um, the Bible is a lot of has a lot of different books in it and they all talk about different things. But really there's one overarching storyline that every single book follows and one story um, and one person that it all points Mm -hmm. to. And so we're going to talk about what that is um, in this episode. So I think to start off the conversation of talking about the Bible in general, I think we have to have a firm foundation established of what is the Bible And specifically, uh, who is God? Um, Because I think I would define what the overarching story of the Bible is, um, is that the Bible is about God sharing his love and displaying his glory throughout all of creation. Mm. And so if that's kind of the definition that I'm going to roll with, we have to figure out what's the Bible and who is God first. So throw the first question out. What is the Bible? How how would you answer that if someone asks you, Hey, Chris. Uh, I'm curious, what is the Bible?
1: I would say it is an all-time bestseller. Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> That's true. Which is true, <laughs> but not super helpful. Um, so I think off the bat, what is the Bible? First and foremost, I would say it is the um, authoritative Word of God. Um, mm-hmm. It is not just humanity's thoughts about God on a page, but God breathing His own words on that page. Um mm-hmm. So through the lens of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, we see um, really what we would say is almost dual authorship, Mm -hmm. um, where a human being wrote the words down Mm -hmm. on that page, but those words were divinely inspired and sovereignly ordained to be on that page, Mm -hmm. to in. To indicate in which that the words that you are reading from the Bible's perspective is the very words of God himself. Mm. Um, I've heard it said multiple times by multiple pastors. If you ever want to hear God speak, just read the Bible out loud. And it's true (laughs) because that is what we believe. That is the word of God. Not Mm -hmm. again, not just people's thoughts about God, but God's revelation of himself in his own words to humanity and through Humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we open up the Bible, whether we're reading history in the Old Testament, whether we're reading New Testament epistles, prophecy, doesn't matter where you fall, mm-hmm. um, we are believing that every word on that page is divinely spoken and sovereignly ordained.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of kind of authorship, these Human authors, there's over 40 of them, uh, written, you know, they wrote the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament over a span of like 1600 years over multiple different countries. Um, and so that's a lot for, for people to take in and be like, well, how is this, how is this, how is the Bible trusted when there's so much, so much unknown about it and and it's over a long period of time and how is it kept intact? Yeah. You know, um, kind of those bigger questions. Yeah.
1: So that's where you really start to get into the world of textual criticism, Mm -hmm. which is how can we trust the Bible Mm -hmm. and how do we make sure that the Bible isn't just the world's longest telephone game, right? (laughs) So you remember the telephone game yeah, from when you're younger, Mm -hmm. usually when you're younger, most adults don't play it. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I play it all the time. Yeah. Me and my friends come over. We're doing telephone again. Um. Yeah, so the telephone game is someone starts off with a word, right? And you whisper it to the one person, and mm-hmm. they whisper to the next person. And then you, you do this long line and see how that word gets changed over the course of time. And, and usually, like, when you play, like, there's a kid in the middle who just decides <laughs> just to completely change the word. He's just like, I'm going to check this out. It's, like, mm-hmm. totally different. Um, and so a lot of people think that if one word can get distorted so easily in the course of three minutes with a handful of people, then surely the Bible is not inerrant, that mm-hmm. it is filled with textual errors. And this is definitely not what God himself has spoken mm-hmm. because it has been changed over the course of the years and the centuries as we go forward. And I don't know how much we want to get into this, yeah. but let me say a few things. One, the Bible is the most trustworthy ancient texts that we have. Mm -hmm. We have more manuscript copies Mm -hmm. of the new Testament than any other historical work Mm -hmm. of that same era Mm -hmm. all combined. Like that, like I don't remember the exact number, but it's tens of thousands Mm -hmm. of manuscripts that we have that date within I think one of some of the earliest ones are within 100 years yeah. of the events of Jesus, mm-hmm. which are closer mm-hmm. than anything else. So like right. you look at Josephus, for example, who is famously a Jewish historian, right? Or is a historian for the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his Antiquity of the Jews is a classic work that everyone views as historical fact. Yeah. Right. Um, we have far less accounts and manuscripts of Josephus's work that date far later mm-hmm. than the works actually d- discuss, like talk about. Yeah, and yet there isn't this debate over whether or not we can trust Josephus. Mm-hmm. There isn't this debate over whether or not we can trust Pliny the Elder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't debate. Like yeah. these historians right. that have written in the same era mm-hmm. that these New Testament writers have written in, and yet because the Bible is claimed to be God's word, we we assume that like there must have been a long telephone game that got changed over the course right. of time. Uh, fun fact: So several decades ago, in the middle of the Middle East, shepherd boy throws rocks into a hole mm-hmm. in the cli- like inside of a cliff. Here's pot. Breaking goes in, they uncover these scrolls. Turns out these scrolls are the, the Old, Old Testament. Testament. Every book of the Old Testament but Esther right. is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. what is now commonly famously referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. The Dead Sea Scrolls date 1,000 years before our, our earliest, earliest, sorry, yeah, our, Manuscript our earliest other written. Old Testament manuscripts. Right. So, I mean, a thousand years mm-hmm. before. So if you were gonna if you were gonna guess and see how much we mess up the telephone game, <laughs> just take the Dead Sea Scrolls and compare it to the other manuscripts that we have because mm-hmm. it has a thousand year yeah. earlier jump. Okay, mm-hmm. and some people did this with some texts from Isaiah, especially, mm-hmm. and they found that the the uh, differences between the texts were
0: minor. minuscule, minuscule, like
1: yeah. spelling errors. It's, it's very small. Yeah, yeah. And then even when you look at, like, let's say you take New Testament manuscripts and you look at those side by side and you look at differences. So here's a fact that we don't like to say much, but it's true. Between all of our manuscripts, we have more errors than we do verses of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like uh, we have a ton of errors, quote unquote, mm-hmm. between manuscripts of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. 90-something percent, Man, I wish I had these numbers in front of me. Yeah, you can look it up. But ninety-seven percent of those errors are just simple grammatical, punctuational right. errors. They mm-hmm. they they're they're small. Right. It, it, some, for example, some New Testament writers would say the Lord God. Some might say, sorry, let me back up. Some might say Jesus Christ. Some may say Christ Jesus. Those are switched, right? That that counts, counts as an error, as a discrepancy, right? right? As an error. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, But does that change the text? No. Mm -mm. They found that most, the vast majority, 90% of these errors make no difference to the text whatsoever. There's a few of them that do change the text, but none of them change key theological understandings of the Christian doctrine. Not a single Mm -mm. one. Um, so, like some of the things that like it changes is some of the some of the manuscripts say the number of the beast in Revelation is six six six. Some say the number of the beast is six six seven. Which one is it? We're not entirely sure because we have manuscripts that say both. Right. Does it change anything about the death, life, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that we get to have in Him? No. Mm-mm. It changes. Absolutely nothing. The only thing that might make some people upset are some really heavy metal rock bands and their album covers. They're like, oh, no, we were one number off, you know? But, like, it really Dang. makes no difference to um, to the text at all. And so what that means, I believe, mm-hmm. is that when we look at textual criticism, can we trust our Bibles to, to tell us who Jesus is? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We most certainly can trust our Bibles. In that regard, we have some of the most trustworthy ancient texts in history. Actually, the most trustworthy ancient texts in history.
0: Even talking about just the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Bible. Right. um, You know, we don't have the original writings from it, but all other ancient Near Eastern texts... They also don't have their original we writings. We don't have the original there of anyone. Of anyone. Yeah. We don't. There's no uh, original writings from any ancient Near Eastern text yeah. in any nation, civiliz- civilization, or anything. Yeah. It's
1: all all of them are copies of copies. Our of manuscripts, copies. exactly. Yeah.
0: But to my understanding, the Bible has the most.
1: The by far the most. Yeah. Yeah. Uh literally like I mean we have tens of thousands more. Right. And and not just, like, you can look at the Greek, for New Testament, for example, you can look at the Greek manuscripts we have, and it's a ton, mm-hmm. but then the the Bible was one of the first books that starts getting translated right. as disciples would multiply out, mm-hmm. so the Bible quickly got translated into Latin, right. and, like, all these other languages. Right. Eventually, English. Yeah, <laughs> eventually English. Yeah, uh, eventually English, and, like, you have... And so, when you look at all that, we have manuscripts. We have Mm -hmm. we have we have the most manuscripts in Greek and every other language that surrounds it. And what's even more fascinating is, if you go and look at some of the early church fathers. So these are the these are the people who are basically being discipled by apostles or being discipled by people who were discipled by apostles. Mm -hmm. The the first, like let's say, two centuries, uh, A.D. Right. You look at the early church fathers you'll find writings where they quote um, the New Testament extensively in their sermons, in their commentaries, in the, Mm -hmm. you name it, letters. Mm -hmm. um, They quote the New Testament authors, and not only do they quote New Testament, but they also confirm their place as canon in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So you see these early church fathers declare that Paul and Peter and these apostles' writings are should be canonized yeah. in scripture that these are God's words right. through man again. Um, and will you
0: explain what you mean by canonized?
1: Yeah, so canonized meaning like these are parts of the Bible, mm-hmm. like these are official books of the Bible, yes. they make it into the Bible itself mm-hmm. because the Protestant canon is different than c- Catholic canon, right? Um, and especially Old Testament, um, right? And so, but these are, yeah, so Protestant canonized books of the Bible. So books that make it into our Protestant Bibles. Mm -hmm. Um, they're claiming, yes, this is scripture. Um, but what's really fascinating is if you, they quote the new Testament so extensively, if you were to take all of our tens of thousands of manuscripts that we have, which is more than any other ancient document ever, Mm -hmm. right? If you were to take all those documents and burn them and no longer have them, we can still remake the entire New Testament just on how much the early church fathers quote the New Testament. Interesting,
0: that is interesting. So
1: not only do we <laughs> have manuscripts on manuscripts on manuscripts in languages on languages on languages, mm-hmm. but we have quotes on quotes on quotes from yeah. the first and second century mm-hmm. that can base that can literally repiece the entire New Testament if you were to burn all of our manuscripts. Yeah. So, yes.
0: Interesting. I believe
1: <laughs> that we do not have the original copies mm-hmm. of New Testament text we do have very close to the original copies. We're literally within a century. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I do believe that the, the, the words that we read in the Bible are the Mm -hmm. very words of God. Yeah. They are God speaking through his people to Mm -hmm. his people.
0: So kind of speaking, um, going off the lines of different translations, there, um, are so many different translations of English Bibles, but, um, the different translations don't differ in content. Um, they differ how they were translated. So for example, like, uh, the ESV English standard version is a more word for word translation. So what that means is it takes the original Hebrew or Greek that the Bible was written in and it translates those specific words into English words. Um, or you could do uh, a phrase for phrase, which is NIV. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's also a paraphrase, um, which is, you know, you're taking um, a whole, like, idea and paraphrasing mm-hmm. it. Um, so the different translations, you know, I, I once had someone tell me they can't trust the Bible because there's too many translations of it. They're all different. And I'm like, well, no, that's actually not true. Um, the different translations is just how have you translated the original Hebrew and Greek yeah. into English. Yeah,
1: they're all using the same ancient manuscripts. Right. They're not... It's not like the ESV is like, we're going to use these manuscripts, right. neglect the others. No, like, they're all using the same standard manuscripts. Mm-hmm. It's just a different style of that translation into the English text, just right. like you said.
0: Well, and kind of going back to... Um, the topic of this whole series, which is the story of the Bible, you know, we talked about how there's 66 books of the Bible, Mm -hmm. but there is kind of this scarlet thread woven throughout the entire 66 books. Um, And so just thinking of the Bible as a literary work, I would, I would think of it as a literary epic. Mm -hmm. Um, It is one big story with several sub stories um, all woven together that point to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. You're either looking forward to it or you're looking back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, with that baseline of now we've kind of talked about what is the Bible, because we have defined this overarching story of the Bible as God sharing his love and displaying his glory throughout all of creation, now we have to ask the question. Who is God? Mm-hmm. Which is a large question, and we don't have nearly enough time on this one podcast <laughs> no. that we're already like twenty minutes into. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to I'm talk just about thinking, it, I was like, should
1: we split this up into part A, part <laughs> B? <know>. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, man, who is God? I would say at the core of God, He's a triune God. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? One God in three persons. Um, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, united together as. One God. Mm-hmm. One God in three persons. Um, here's the reason why I would give that answer. I think everything we know about God flows out of the fact that he's Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Reeves, who wrote the book Delighting in the Trinity, by the way, amazing book. You should read it. Dear Lord, it's so good.
0: I don't think you'll ever find a c- more clear no <laughs> explanation of the Trinity.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. And... Um, Anyway, one of I guess if you had to say what is his thesis statement in a sense of the book, he would I'm putting words in his mouth, but (laughs) because it's on the front on the back of the book and highlighted throughout the entire book, I think I would say that his thesis statement is God is love because God is triune. Yeah, and um, I couldn't agree more. Um, Mm -hmm. God being Trinity. we get to all, all the things we know about God flow out of the fact that He is mm-hmm. a triune God. And when we say triune God, not only do we mean one God and three distinct persons, but the interaction between those persons is crucial in understanding who God is as Trinity. So, God is a Trinity, one in three, in a sense of the Father and the Son loving each other through the means of. Of, of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, and so the way that the Trinity is united together if you will is by the bond of love in the person of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, we see this um, I think maybe the most clearly at Jesus's baptism mm-hmm. um, where the father Jesus comes out of the water the father from heaven says this is my beloved son right mm-hmm. the, another way to translate would be that to be to say the son in whom I love, right? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what we see is the Holy spirit descends on the son like a dove. Mm -hmm. And so what we find there is that the way that the father and the son love each other is by the giving and the receiving of the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. It's no coincidence that when the father in heaven says, this is my beloved son, the son in whom I love that the spirit descends. Because the way the Father and the Son love each other is by the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's also fascinating when you read through the Gospels, you will, especially in John, you will see Jesus constantly talk about the Father in a sense of adoration and love. He constantly talks about God, that the, that the Father is the one he loves. He loves the Father. And then he'll say that the Father loves him. Mm-hmm. There's this love between Father and Son over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, especially in John. Mm-hmm. But here's what's really fascinating. You never, ever, ever see Jesus say, I love the Holy Spirit. Or ever see him say that the Father loves the Holy Spirit. Right. Or, nor do you ever see any of the apostles through, throughout the rest of the New Testament declare their love for the Holy Spirit. It's their love for the Father, their love for the Son, and the Son and the Father's love for them. Mm-hmm. No one loves the Holy Spirit, poor guy. <laughs> but the reason why is because the Holy Spirit is is that love. The love, yeah. God as Trinity is a Father and a Son who love each other with a covenantal love mm-hmm. that binds them together, that they are one God together Um, and that love that binds them together isn't just an abstract love Mm -hmm. but the Bible describes that love as one the Holy Spirit and two a person right the Holy Spirit is someone you can grieve someone you can neglect right someone Mm -hmm. you can communicate to Uh, when the Bible describes the Holy Spirit it's as if it's describing a person because it is and so that love isn't just some random abstract feeling or thought it's it's a person that binds them together that Mm -hmm. embraces and empowers the love between the two and so who is God I would say at the fundamental core of God if you had to narrow him down to one thing I would say, God is Trinity, Father and a Son, loving together in a covenantal love that is the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. binding them together, and that makes them one God Mm -hmm. together in triune form. And so, because of that, because the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God, bound together in love of the Holy Spirit, what that means is that everything that God does, he doesn't love. Right. He can't not do loving things. Mm-hmm. God is love because he is triune. Because he's a trinity, mm-hmm. he can't help but love. And so, right. and we'll get to here, maybe we will jump in the gun, but <laughs> well, when we look at all the pages of scripture, what yeah. we're going to see is uh, we're going to see a loving God yeah. doing loving things yeah. in every single passage, including when he pours out his wrath and yep. his judgment. It's a loving yep. thing that he does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we could say about who God is, but I think that's a really good overview, and for our purposes, a really good overview for who God is, being triune, being the Father, loving the Son through the Spirit. Um, And so to move the conversation along, if the Bible now is about a triune, loving God, what is that triune, loving God communicating to us through the Bible? And I think he's communicating and revealing himself, sharing who he is with us. Um, and I think that, I think that you can see this looking at the very first and the very last words of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, so the very first words are in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The very last words in Genesis, or sorry,
1: (laughs) 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 the very first (laughs) words
0: is Genesis. (laughs) Let me get that straight very last words in Revelation 22: 21 it says may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all amen so we see in the very beginning God created what does that mean that that means that there is a God who exists outside of the constraints of time and space because if God is in the beginning that means that God is the beginning yeah. there is nothing before God God is is eternally existent before yeah. there is time or space God made time or space so that we see God creates, um, at the end, what we see is the same God in the Lord Jesus is sharing an aspect of his character, his grace with us. It's this plea that, uh, that, that a part of who God is would be shared with all, meaning all of humanity, all of what he created in the beginning. And so at the very very least what we see by just simply looking at the very beginning and the very end of this story of the Bible is that There is a God who creates and shares himself Mm. with his creation. I think it's really interesting that um, So John is is the person who's writing this and he uses the language may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all I think it's interesting that he says grace because Grace, uh, at its core, at its definition, is um, unmerited favor of God. Um, God giving us something that we do not deserve. Actually, I would go a step further in saying that we deserve um, something far worse than what we get. Mm. Um, And so grace can only be shared if there's a need for it. And the simple fact that his grace is being shared shows us that something went wrong. Mm -hmm. There is now a need for God's Mm -hmm. grace. And so the story is now unfolding even more that God created, something went wrong, Mm -hmm. that we even need God's grace. But if you look a verse before the very last verse in the Bible, it says, it's a plea and it says, come Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's this eager expectation and longing that we are waiting for our God to make whatever Went wrong, right again. And so we see this unfolding of the story of the Bible. God created, something went wrong, and we are waiting for God to make it fully and completely right again.
1: Yeah, I would say, just kind of going off that, like, what's I think what's amazing about God in that aspect is, like, one, like what you said, um, the first and last verses of the Bible tell us that, like, God created and then Mm -hmm. God shares Mm -hmm. right and and what's really truly I think what even expresses maybe even the love of God even more is the fact that he creates to share yeah and so there there's an overflow of the love of God within himself the father and the son love each other so much that they create to share that love Mm -hmm. with others right yeah it's not like he needs us to be who he is like no he's perfectly content. On his own, right? But God chooses to create out of an overflow of that love to share. He literally is a God who creates to share. Mm -hmm. And what's really even more, I think, amazing in that is when you know that God knew before he created anything Mm -hmm. that something was going to go wrong,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Yeah. It wasn't like Adam and Eve (laughs) ate from the Garden of Eden and God was like, what? (laughs) Whoa. Like, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't like, who would have thought? Like, No, like, God knew, right? Ephesians tells us that that Jesus was the plan from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. That that before he created anything, like, he foreknew all of this was going to uh, occur, and he was going to call people to his name through the Son, right? right? Which means that before God ever spoke anything to existence, the Son knew that he would take on human flesh and die. Mm -hmm. And he still Mm. chose to create. Yeah. C.S. Lewis— once says that before God ever spoke like a star, I'm, butch- I'm butchering this quote. Before God ever spoke a star into existence, the cross was at the forefront of His mind, mm-hmm. and He's right. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus was not Plan B for creation that right. failed, and was Plan A. right Jesus was always Plan A. The mm-hmm. cross was always the goal. Yeah, that was always going to be the story that was told when right. God decided to create. But yet. God so loving mm-hmm. out of an overflow of his love, he chooses to create knowing yeah. that the creation that he creates, he'll have to die for down the road. Yeah. And that, well, if, if that doesn't make you love Jesus more, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't know what will, what will like a God who doesn't have to create, doesn't have to die, chooses to create and die so that we can now know. Yeah. The love that literally birthed right. the stars. Right. Like, When we become a follower of Jesus, we are brought into the Trinitarian love Mm -hmm. of God. God pours out his spirit on us because he loves us, Mm -hmm. and then we... Through the Spirit, and only through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. No other way that we can respond, Abba Father, unless through the Spirit, Mm -hmm. right? The Father pours out His Spirit Mm -hmm. on us in love, because the Spirit is love. The Spirit changes our hearts, gives us a heart to cry out to God. And Mm -hmm. through the same means that God expresses His love to us, we express our love Mm -hmm. to the Father. So how do we express our love to God? It is by the Spirit being uh, poured out on us, and us through the means of that spirit expressing our love to the son right yeah. it's the same where we get to be a part of the of that trinitarian mm-hmm. love the same love that couldn't help but create and die for the creation mm-hmm. yeah that's amazing that is holy moly
0: what we have seen is that there's a story unfolding um yep. with this triune god creating not because he needs anything but because simply because It is an outflow of his love. Um, So bringing it back to the story of the Bible, Mm -hmm. if I were to open my Bible to a random page, what would I find? I think you would find yourself in one of four main areas of what we call, and by we, I mean like just theologians um, and Christians in general, call the meta-narrative of the Bible. Um, That's a fancy word for overarching story of the Bible. Um, So, you know, and we've kind of been talking about this, uh, creation Mm -hmm. and the fall um, where humanity sins. And then we've also been talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which we would define as redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, seen at the very end of Revelation, this come Lord Jesus, Uh, we would define as new creation, or some people would say consummation as well. Um, God consummating his people and his kingdom together um, that God will establish. um, He is in the process of of reestablishing his kingdom with his people. Um, So that is kind of where you would find yourself when you open the Bible. You'll find yourself in one of these four areas, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Now, the interesting thing is that creation and fall encompass. Simply the first three chapters yeah. of the first book. Yeah, it comes quick, <laughs> very <laughs> quickly, and then we are left with pretty much the entire Bible in this space between the fall of humanity and the redemption, yeah. uh, which is the Old Testament. Right, and then we see in the New Testament life um, after Jesus, after the cross, mm-hmm. after his life, death, and resurrection, what that means for us, and then the hope of that that we have um, for Christ's second coming and his establishing his eternal kingdom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's a, that's a great way to think about the, the meta narrative of scripture of how does it flow? Cause it can very easily feel like these are disjointed stories that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. right? They're just a collection of short stories or in some cases, long stories yeah. that don't really connect
0: with a lot of characters, yeah. a lot of weird names.
1: Yeah. yeah, a lot of weird names. A lot of lists. <laughs> yeah, like numbers. Yeah, numbers. Even Nehemiah has a ton yeah. of lists. My like, bro, uh, listing no. things, but
0: I don't care about these people. <laughs> yeah, it can
1: be really easy to think, th- like as you read that, to think this is just random literature thrown together in a collection that we call the Bible. But r- in reality, just like what you said, there is a massive, overarching story. God mm-hmm. creates. Humanity sins, and as soon as humanity sins, God declares Mm -hmm. that he will redeem. And then from the rest of, from Genesis 4 to the end of the Old Testament, um, you see God do small expressions of redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, The story of Noah, Mm -hmm. um, the story of David. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, you see these small little stories of redemption mm-hmm. ezra nehemiah bringing people back into jerusalem yeah. god redeeming his people they yeah. go into exile god brings them back the Judges story of ruth ruth yeah over and over you see these small little stories of redemption but they all none of them actually fully redeems. right right they all point to an even greater mm-hmm. story uh, which is jesus right. who brings about the ultimate redemption and mm-hmm. um Sacrifice for sins, right? Even the Old Testament sacrificial system is but a yeah. shadow of who Jesus is and what Jesus will, yeah. will ultimately do. And so God brings about this plan of redemption. God gives us little glimpses of redemption. He rescues people out of Egypt through mm-hmm. Moses, all these different things. He gives us little glimpses of redemption. And then in the New Testament and the Gospels, we see redemption come in its fullest state mm-hmm. um, in Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the New Testament, minus Revelation, is just pointing back to who that mm-hmm. this Messiah has come. Old yeah. Testament pointing forward, a Messiah will come, a Messiah will come, a Messiah will come. New Testament, Messiah comes, points back, Messiah came, mm-hmm. and then Revelation, Messiah will come again and mm-hmm. fully redeem all. And everything will be glorified or perfected yeah. um, at his second coming. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that a lot of people have tried to define, you know, what is the Bible about and, and give a creative uh, one sentence overview of yeah. the Bible. And I know I struggled with this and we kind of talked about it and kind of fleshed out some things. And um, the reason why we came to the conclusion that the Bible is about God sharing his love and displaying his glory throughout all of creation, is because we th- we feel that that is all encompassing yeah. of the many different routes that you can take through this Overarching story, right. um, one big one that I see coming up that I, you know, kind of jumped on pretty quickly was just the kingdom of God. Right. But why is there a kingdom of God? Because God loves. loves right. You know. You can
1: look at covenants too, right? Yeah. Uh, covenantal theology is all about looking at covenants and how covenants uh, basically mm-hmm. are the are the links in the chain that connect the entire meta narrative of Scripture, right? right? Mm-hmm. And you have this covenantal theology, which is beautiful um but then the other underlying tone is like so is the bible about covenants and i would say yeah yeah but what brings about the covenant
0: but why covenants but why covenants
1: and i and i would always go back to the fact that god is a loving god right why would god choose to get to to form a covenant with Mm, sinful people who are constantly running from his unfaithful sinning against the god who made them yeah because he loves he loves right and so love even like identity, right? Mm-hmm. You could say the 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 Bible is largely about who people are and who God is, and I would mm-hmm. say yes, absolutely that is true. Mm-hmm. But why does God choose to reveal t- who He is? Right, love,
0: right. Right. And so even like you know the Bible is about a faithful God pursuing His faithless people. Right. Why? Why would He even do that? Right. Love. Consider that love because yeah. He is love.
1: Yeah. So I think what you could say is the the Bible is about love because the God of the Bible is a loving God, yeah. right? That That's his, because he's Trinity, he is love. Mm-hmm. That's his main characteristic of right. who he is. And because of that, and because he wrote this book, right. I would say yeah. that the Bible is predominantly about yeah. God revealing his love. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting too, because the Bible reveals a whole lot more about who God is, right. um, a lot more characteristics of him. Right. But I think what's interesting is that without God's love, we wouldn't experience any other characteristic of God right. because without God's love, there would be nothing to experience. There would be no creation because God created out of his love. Out of his love. Right. right? So we wouldn't even get to experience anything about yeah. God if he was not love yeah. first and foremost in a Trinity. Yeah. Even, even the
1: attributes of God. Right. I would say all flow from the fact that he's Trinity and he that, that he's love. love, you know, like, uh, like when you look at God's wrath.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's God's love against sin. Yeah. How do you love sin? You kill it. Right. The way you love sin is not by letting it flourish. Right. The way you love sin is by Mm -hmm. destroying it. Yeah. So what is God's wrath? God's love poured out against sin. What is God's grace? God's love poured out against sinners. Yeah. Right? Like, his mercy, same thing. Yeah. Like, all these attributes of God that we've come to know, love, write worship songs about, and admire, all flow from this fountain mm-hmm. of, of love. Mm-hmm. And in the end, that's all that will be left. Yeah. Right? Like, so when revelation occurs, Christ returns for the second time, we won't know all these other attributes of God on a regular basis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We won't experience God's grace in the new heavens and new earth or his mercy. We won't have hope. Or have faith. Or experience judgment or wrath. There's no place for it.
0: There's no need for it. There's no
1: need for any of it. Right. There's no need for hope when the hope that you are hoping for has already come. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping for? You're in the presence of Almighty God. You have nothing else to hope for. Yeah. Everything you were hoping for is now a reality. This is is it. This is... There's no need for grace because there's no sin. Yeah. It's been destroyed entirely. Right. We've crossed into glorification and perfection. There's no sin anymore. We don't right. need grace. There's no reason for God to show his grace or his mercy to us in after revelation occurs because there's no need for no it. No need. There's no need for faith because you're in the presence of God, mm-hmm. right? All these other things will fade away. Yeah. There will be one thing that stays. Love. Yeah. You will still forever experience the love of God mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm more and more and more as I think about this I'm just convinced that like the reason why God creates in the first place is so that we will experience his love through the avenues of all the other attributes yeah I mean just think about this for a moment like yeah. the angels in heaven do not get to experience God's love in this way Mm-mm. like not that like I don't know that I'm happy I'm a, sin, I'm a sinful human <laughs> like you know not in that way but like I, I get to experience a love of God that loves me in my mess Mm -hmm. And loves me in my sinfulness and the depth of my depravity. And, like, they're not experiencing that. There's no sin Mm -hmm. where they are, you know? I get to experience a God who shows me mercy upon mercy day after day, grace upon grace, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I experience a God who's, I read about his judgment poured out in the Old Testament, and I realize just exactly what he's saving me from, Mm -hmm. and how serious he takes sin, how much he loves people and hates and despises sin, I get to experience that love mm. God creates so that we can experience the love of God through the variety of facets of his attributes and beauty mm. and uh, you don't you don't you don't get that mm-hmm. like in a perfect world, <laughs> you know, right. and so like not that I'm trying to like glorify sin by no means is that what I'm trying to do, but just realizing that like if it wasn't for the sin that entered into the world, there'd be a lot of God that we wouldn't really be able to see. Right. And that one day that will be the case where we don't have all these other things. There's no re- need for judgment because there's no sin. Everything that needed judgment has already been judged, right? There's no need for grace, mercy, mm-hmm. hope, faith. There's no need for any of that. But mm-hmm. what will s- constantly remain steady and true yeah. for all of eternity forward yeah. is love. And so when you look at eternity past, God is a loving God who loves himself, Father, Son, through the means of the Holy Spirit, and out of overflow of that love, he creates everything. And then as creation progresses forward, God is constantly loving his creation through the variety of his attributes, through grace and mercy, judgment, uh, all these different things that God does. He loves his creation through all of it, and then one day he will restore it all perfectly the way he originally designed it to be, and Mm -hmm. then for the rest of eternity future, what will we dwell in? The glory of the love of God. Yeah. And so God's love will, is what created the world. It's what mm-hmm. started all of it. It's what we will know forever mm-hmm. in eternity future. Yeah. And so because of that, the Bible is a book that's all about God revealing Himself with the love and glory of Him of Himself. Yeah.
0: yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking about that age old question of, well, how can a good God, good loving God, allow evil to exist? Well, if He Allows if he wipes out all evil, he wipes out all of humanity, yeah. and and we don't get to experience evil. exactly. Right. We're evil, and we won't. We don't get to experience any, um, any of other characteristic of God. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. Well, and and that's like you know that, that's a lot of people's big question, right? If if God exists, if God is an all-powerful, all-good God, how can evil exist in the world? Their their conclusion is either one of two things: God is either not all good because he doesn't wipe it out, or he's not all powerful and he can't wipe it out. Right. That's not the case. Right. God is Mm -hmm. wiping out evil. Mm -hmm. He's just not doing it the way you think he should. Mm -hmm. What most people think of is they think, why isn't God dealing with evil? God is dealing with evil. The cross of Jesus is God dealing with evil. Yeah. God's dealing with evil. Mm -hmm. He put Mm -hmm. his own son on the cross to deal with evil. Yeah. Right. The problem is we think that God should snap his fingers and all evil cease to exist. The problem, though, is that you and I are filled with sin. Mm-hmm. And that sin in God's eyes is evil. Yeah. So what God does is remarkable. God devises a way, which was the way that he created from the beginning of all time anyway, mm-hmm. to where he will get rid of evil without getting rid of you and me. And that is by crushing the sun mm-hmm. with the wrath of God on sin. Yeah and resurrecting him to life mm-hmm. and so god is doing something about evil but he's doing it in a far better way than you would ever think or want him yeah. to do it because he's div- he is doing it in such a way where he's getting rid of evil without getting rid of you and me mm-hmm. so there's another example of just the god vast love. love of god yeah and so um, I, we could talk about this forever,
0: yeah. I and know we have probably what has have. it been like an hour, it's been 53 minutes. Yeah, come on, <laughs> 60. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really could talk about this for a long time, and, and I think we've talked about a lot that we'll also hit on in the next couple of episodes talking about creation, talking about the fall. Um, so kind of just an overview of what this season is going to look like. Um. The next episode, we're going to talk about creation, literally just Genesis one and two, two chapters out of 66 books. (laughs) Um, the next episode, we'll talk about humanity's rebellion and God's plan of redemption. So the rest of Genesis, um, then we're going to just basically, we're going to follow the Bible and how the Bible lays itself out. Um, and by I say itself, we put it together, but, (laughs) um, we're going to talk about the history of Israel. That is a, all of your old Testament. And so we're going to, um break that up into two parts. We're going to talk about part one, um, the exodus uh, and the law. Um, we're going to talk about part two, which is Israel in the promised land. So this is uh, the conquering of Canaan and entering into the promised land, the period of the judges, the monarchy. Um, you have that even divided up into the United Kingdom and the, then the divided kingdom with Israel and Judah split, um, and then we'll also talk about the exile, the Babylonian exile, and then the return from exile. That all encompassed is is the history of Israel in um, the promised land, getting thrown out of the promised land, then coming back to the promised land. Um, then we're going to follow along the narrative or the the layout of the Bible and talk about wisdom literature. How does wisdom literature fit within the story of the Bible? Um, and throughout all of this, also going to mention that we're going to be talking about how God's love is displayed in all of these parts of the Bible. Um, how is God's love displayed in the history of Israel? How is God's love displayed in in this wisdom literature? Um, so wisdom literature would be like Psalms, Proverbs, things like that, wise sayings. <laughs> um, we're going to follow the prophets and see the prophets really are Go along with the history of Israel, um, but they are just lumped together, all one and the same. So we'll be talking about some overlap when we get to the prophets about the history of Israel, but specifically looking through the eyes of prophets, um, and um, you know what is God, um, what is God doing through the prophets, um, and how is His love displayed through them, and uh, specifically how a lot of the prophets um, were glimpses of redemption, just not yet fully expressed until Christ, then um, we'll get to Jesus, and we'll talk about his life, death, and resurrection through the Gospels, and then we'll talk about the church age. We'll talk about the early church and these letters that a lot of the apostles wrote, what that means for us today, and then the very last episode that we will talk about is going to be on the book of Revelation, which that's going to be... <laughs> A beast to tackle. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to have a good friend of mine join me for that conversation. And she is just as nerdy, if not more nerdy than I am. Uh, So that'll be a fun conversation to to flesh out with her. So that's where we're headed for this season of the Abide podcast. I'm going to cover the entire Bible in what, 10 episodes? Nine, really, because this was just an introduction. So (laughs) buckle up is all I got to say. (laughs) Hopefully they won't all be an hour long.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully <laughs> I apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe just the first three because you can talk a lot, so yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, Chris, is there anything else that you want to say as we wrap up this introduction to the story of the Bible?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for for this summer and, and what God's gonna do through through these uh, topics. I think it's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Well, I'll talk to you next week as well. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs>